the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And just to review a little, we'll probably pick up in about verse 9. We left off in that verse, uh, 9-10. But remembering that uh, here he began this speaking about the body and that not one member to exalt himself above another member. That a man not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That a man not look down at the brethren. Uh, and you know, that, that's our natural disposition is to think high of ourselves, to think less of everybody else. And so the Lord says we're one body. And as the body and the many members, uh, uh, they care for one another. That's the way the church is to be, to care for one another's spiritual well-being and growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our world now would take that, well, you got to love everybody. And by love, the world means accepting and go along with and pat on the back and encourage in every way. But the Bible teaches us that, that real biblical love rejoices not in iniquity. It doesn't promote man to go away from God and away from the will of God. But real love, I believe... Uh, as Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb were doing, that real love, it was contrary to what the people thought, yet it was there to come to God, come to the truth, because the truth is you're, you're going you're gonna to perish in the wilderness if you don't come to this truth. And so the love there was calling them to God, though it wasn't what they wanted. And we've looked at the body and I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing all this stuff that we've already covered. But he tells us to those that are ministers to wait on ministering. Those that are uh, givers to give with all speed. And, and so whatever our job is, we're to be busy in doing our job that the Lord would have gave. And so let's, let's look in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. So dissimulation is that it's, uh, it's hypocrisy. So let love be without hypocrisy. Don't put on a show and pretend. Don't be one that wants you to think something that's not true, but in the body of the church, the love for one another ought to be out of the heart. It ought to be sincere. There ought to be a sincere care for one another's welfare and well-being in the service of Christ. So let love, let it not be a show or vain or that it's untrue, but let love be true from the heart. What a shame now that, that it be a show and you think something because of the show, but in reality, it's not true. Right. Would you say that goes on? Yes. That goes on a lot in, in our world and in a lot of different ways. There's a vain show that goes on up front that I want you to think this, but behind I'm something totally different. Right. Well, the love of the body is not to be a show. It's not to be a hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, that word just means an actor <coughs> under an assumed part. That when you watch your favorite TV show and there's your favorite detective and you like everything about him, and you see the man in real life, you know, that's not who he is. Because on the show, he's playing a part. And in real life, he's somebody totally different. So that's what the Lord says about our love. If we're not careful, we'll 
put on a show and we'll act the part. But in real life, we're totally different than that. So let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So to abhor, to detest that which is evil, that which is hurtful, that which is malevolent, that which is evil, that which is bad. And so I I believe this ties in here. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. And I've heard it put this way, and I believe it's a great way uh, to see it, that when when you're young and is sick and they've got a high fever, you don't hate the youngin', but you hate that fever, that sickness that's causing your child trouble. You despise, you'd like that to be gone so that all can be well once again. And so here, we're to abhor that which is hurtful to our brothers and sisters, that which would cause them, now listen, that which would cause them to err from the way of Christ and from the Word of God, the church has a duty to abhor that. That that would lead man away from the truth, that that would lead man away from God, the church has a duty to detest that and desire that it be gone out of our lives. So abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good, that which is beneficial, beautiful or beneficial is the meaning of that word. So we ought to detest and despise that which is hurtful, to the brethren. We ought to cleave to that which is beneficial to you, that which would be good to you and your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's going to hurt, if it's going to cause to stumble, if it's going to trip you up, then the church ought to despise that and desire that that be removed from your way. Now that's easy to say. That sounds good when you say it, but when I love it, When it's my wedge of silver and Babylonian garment buried under my tent and that's causing trouble to the body and the church is praying, uh, Joshua's praying, God, why are we in this place? I don't want to dig up my tent. But the church is praying, remove that that's hindering us from the way. And, And you know, the church's prayer is let every individual life Profit in the Word of God and in the truth. Now, what is that that's good? It's the Word of God. The Word of God is what the church ought to cleave to. The right doctrine of the Word of God. And the world says, you know, a lot of that's outdated. A lot of that's out of fashion. And a lot of that was written with one thing in mind and it's totally different than it is today. And we move the Word of God out of the way that we might have that which is evil. But that'd be like saying, I'm going to go into a sick room and I'm going to lick every surface that there is because I want to have that fever. I want to be sick. I want that that's going to hurt me. Now that's the way man is. Man in his fleshly, carnal nature, he wants that that spiritually brings destruction to him. The church ought to want the opposite. You see that? The church ought to want the spiritual good of the body. 
I want the body to be cared for. So be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. So kindly affection, fond of natural relatives. It's a love of family. So it's not just a love of friends or a camaraderie with the boys or a sorority with the girls, but this is a family love. Now a camaraderie with the friends, it may not bring me to the place that I ever say the hard things. But you know, in a family, you're brought to that sometimes. Sometimes as a dad, you've got to say things that you know they're not going to like. Sometimes as a mother, you've got to say things that you know is going to cause some strife and turmoil there. And so as a family, as a family, as a church, we're there as a body to nurture one another as a family. To admonish, to encourage, to strengthen. You know, when when the child, when they're doing well and you're proud of them, you heap praise and encouragement. You keep up that hard work. You continue to do well. You're doing excellent. But you know, when something's wrong, they need to be corrected. And so that's as the church is, as a family with brotherly love. So a fraternal affection that we are as brethren, that we are one and the same in Christ Jesus. Recognizing this now, that this man, he is a joint heir with Jesus Christ. This man, he's a joint heir with Jesus Christ. This man's a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And in Christ, you know what we all are? We're all the same. Well, one of them's a teacher, one of them's a deacon. Well, that see, in, in Christ, those things don't matter. God's given us a dispensation and a work to do, but that doesn't put one above another. So we're all subject to trouble, we're all subject to strife, and we're to love one another as brethren. Not as lords over God's heritage. A lot of times that's, that's moved out of place. But we're not lords over God's heritage. We're there to encourage. We're there to strengthen. We're there to point in the right direction. And you know, when I, when I see my brother, and if I love my brother as the natural love of family is, when I see him beginning to do something that I see is going to cause trouble for him, would it not make sense for me to say, listen, bud, you better watch. You better... Have you ever done that? And so there the church is with that brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So in honor, that verse means... or that word means to value, to esteem to the highest degree. So you know what there is... As, as I look at the church, I'm to value each one of you, to give the highest esteem to. And this ties back in with not thinking too highly of myself. But as I look at you, I see your value. And I see your, uh, your place in Jesus Christ. And I don't value myself above you, but I'm deferring to you in honor, preferring one another. I'm deferring my place to you that, you know, they're, they're better than I am. They're wiser than me. And if I don't have this mindset, then, you know, somebody can come in love and I can say, well, I know more than they know. 
That's what happens to the preacher a lot of times. Here's a man that, that we attest is called of God to preach the gospel. We believe he studies to preach the Word of God. And then he comes and preaches the Word to us. It corrects us. And I don't esteem him highly. But I say, you know, I, I know more than he knows. Who is he to try to correct me? Well, that's not the view that the church is to have. And so Vaughn is to look at everybody else above him. And I'm to look at everybody else above me. And I'm to be open to hear and to take and receive what the Word of God would say to me and not be wise in my own conceits. In honor, preferring one another, deference. It's we're in line and I say, no, you, you go ahead. I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to allow you to have the preeminence. I'm going to allow you to have the place. And instead of shutting the door on everybody else and saying, I'm above and I know more and I know better and I'm more right than everybody else, I'm going to defer to you and heed to what you would say to me. So this, I believe this will tie in with that. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So that's verse 11. Not slothful in business. So that word means tardy or indolent. It's a lazy man. It's a lazy person. Somebody that has no motivation. And that no motivation brings about no profit. God says don't be lazy in business. And I I believe for the saints of God, for those that God has saved, that goes to our work out in the world as well. That if I'm going to represent God in this world, I ought not have the reputation of a lazy and worthless employee. But my work ought to reflect, and God even says in His Word, that whatsoever thy find to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. That they ought to see and say, boy, that man's a hard worker. I wonder, wonder how he got a work ethic like that. Well, it's because they're Christians. So see, this salvation, it's to bleed out into every part of my life. It's that the light of Jesus Christ shine forth in all of my behavior, in everything that I do, in everything that I undertake to do, that God would be manifested and exalted through that. And if if I'm a lazy, worthless son of a gun, and I work for you, and you hear, well, that man's going to be teaching down there in Bible school. Well, I ain't going to go hear that lazy thing. He ain't no count on the job. He's no count behind the teacher's desk either. Now that's the way it works. And so God says, be not slothful in business. But I think spiritually there's something there as well. You know, uh, as I have a job and I have men that I'm accountable to, that that I obey and fall under, so also do we as Christians. We've got a master and a Lord that we are servants to. Is that not the truth? Are we not servants of? And that word servant means to be a slave. So are we not slaves? Are we not bought with a price? 
and our lives no longer our own, but our lives belong to our Master that bought us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as He came in that parable there and He delivered unto His ten servants a pound apiece, or in the other parable in Matthew, He delivers unto them talents. And what does He say? Now you occupy this till I come back. You busy yourself with this work till I come back. So the picture is, I've given you a thousand dollars. And I've said, look, I'm going to let you have this. You work with this and see what you can make till I come back. And there was one, you know the one, in both parables... He took what the Lord gave him and he wrapped it up in a napkin and he put it under the ground and when, the, when he came back, he buried it back up and said, I've, I've got exactly what you gave me. But you know what he was? He didn't do anything with it. He was lazy. He was a lazy servant. And the master was not pleased with his laziness. He said at the very least, you could have took it to the bank and drawn some interest. But you didn't even have the gumption to take it to the bank and let them occupy it. You've wasted your opportunity. And so the Lord would have us not to be wasteful and to be lazy in our business for the Lord. That as the, Now, you say, well, I'm, I'm, I don't really have a job. Well, if you've got, if you've got a job if you have an office, if you have a responsibility, we ought not be lazy in that responsibility. If you're going to open Sunday school next week, we ought not be lazy about We ought to take that seriously and we ought to labor to that end. If we're going to teach Sunday school, we ought not be lazy about that. Would you agree? We ought to put some time into the Word of God. We ought to desire that God would reveal what does this Scripture mean. And... Not to get off track, but God help, as we teach, let's teach what the Scripture says and what the Scripture means. I don't need your thought of the day. That's what, everywhere you go, I've got this thought. I, I don't want your thought. What I'd like to know is read me five verses and tell me exactly what those five verses were intended to tell me when the Holy Ghost had them pinned down. Well, if, if I come with this thought, it might change people's minds. It's not going to change their mind. Yeah. Your thought will not change anybody's mind. The Holy Ghost, that's what changes minds. The Holy Ghost will work through the Word of God. So just rightly divide the Word of God. But be not slothful. So in Proverbs chapter 6, we, we know this reference. We've heard this reference many times. But Solomon's going to pass by the house of the lazy. And he's going to pass by today. And he's going to pass by next week. And he's going to pass by a year from now. And you know what's happening? It's falling down. You can picture it now. Here's a lazy man that all he wants to do is lay in the bed. Don't want to do anything. I don't want to put forth any effort. I don't want to have to get up. And so as you pass by this week, well, the grass is to the ankles. Maybe the house looks in decent shape. But you know, you let a year go by. 
And what's it going to look like? And you let two years go by. And if you've ever owned a place or, or rented a place for a long period of time, you don't realize just how much goes into maintaining and keeping up. And if, if you're not there to do that, how quickly she falls through. So he says before long the house was falling down. You know what made it fall? Laziness. You know what makes spiritual lives to fall to the earth? Laziness. So what ought we to be busy in? What ought we to be, uh, as he says here, not slothful in business? Well, we believe this. God's provided us His Word. We ought to desire to know what the Word of God says and what the Word of God means. And I'm going to be honest. Why it says it, that's, that's not any of my business. God wrote the book. I don't have to question why. I can say this is the Word of God. God help me to know what Your Word says and God help me to bring my life to that. But if I'm going to be lazy now in my study of the Word of God, if I'm going to be lazy in the business of understanding what the Scripture says and in prayer as well, I, I believe He wants us to study, to show ourselves approved from the preacher to the youngest one that's saved in the house. And I believe He desires, as He says in those parables, He spake this parable that all men should pray and not faint. I believe the Lord's will. And I, I, if, you, if you would question that, if you would say, I'm not sure about that, then I adjure you to raise your hand. I believe the Christian's job as being born again and, and redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ, we ought to busy ourselves in growing in understanding of the Word of God, and we ought to be on our knees praying day after day and not relaxing. Would you agree? So be not lazy in that. Because if we start to get lazy at the foundation, then it's going to be as the lazy man's house. The house is going to fall through. Lives are going to be in shambles. And as my foundation is crumbling, the corner of the house is going to start to settle. There's going to be cracks in the walls where that settlement's at. You know, as, as my spiritual foundation begins to crumble and I'm being lazy in business, it's not my house that's falling. It's my behavior that's changing. I'm beginning to veer off course. I'm beginning to veer into that that's going to be hurtful to me. Well, this is what I want. I believe that's what Eve said. Don't you? I believe Eve said, this is what I want. I believe that's what Samson said of Delilah. She's the one that I want. And yet, look. Look at how a little laziness brings the whole house falling down. And so, be not slothful in business. Be diligent. I believe that would be a good thing to say. Be diligent in your service to the Lord. Fervent in spirit. To be hot, boiling in spirit. That your spirit would have a burning zeal for God. Now, well, preacher, we can't control the spirit. And I agree with that in salvation 
The church has got no control directing who God's going to visit today. Exactly like I have no, no duty in directing the wind where it's going to blow today. But now them that are saved, it's a little different. Because if we're saved, then this Holy Spirit, He is dwelling in us, correct? And so if, if I've got a fire, if I've got one out in the backyard and I'm burning brush, I can leave it alone and let it die out. Or you know what I like to do? I like to take a rake. And every 10-15 minutes, I like to rake the sides up on top. And then, you know, if you do that, then it's going to burn till everything's gone. So we can maintain that. We can quench that. Can't we? Well, does God not say, quench not the Spirit? There's ways that I can quench the working of the Spirit of God in my life. Do you think this ties in any with diligent in prayer and in study of the Word of God? Be not slothful in business, but be fervent in spirit. And so when, when I let down my duty to God, when I let down my service to God, and as my behavior begins to creep off course of what the Word of God would direct me to do, I'm beginning to quench the working of the Spirit in my life. Now we can put on, we can fake tears, we can throw up some good words, we can say some good words and fair speeches is the way God's going to put it at the end of this book of Romans. We can do that and we can say the Spirit's moved me to do this, but you, you can't lie to me about that. Because if I have the Spirit and you speak in the Spirit, there's a witness on the end. There's a linkage that happens that God bears witness your Spirit with the same Spirit that's in me and there's that link up. And you know, this fake business, I don't link to that. So let's not fake. Let it be without dissimulation. But the Bible says fervent. He commands me here in Romans chapter number 12, verse number 11, to be fervent in spirit. So by studying the Word of God, if you can see that as I, as I would spend some time in the Scripture day by day, that would be like putting some logs on the fire. You see that? I'm giving something for the Spirit to illuminate and speak to me. Well, I'm waiting on the trees to rustle just right and maybe God will speak to me that way. I'm waiting to hear, I'm waiting to hear the sound of a going in the top of the mulberry trees. I'm waiting on God to make my fleece wet and the ground around it dry. You know, there was a time that God spoke like that. God at sundry times in diverse manners spoke in the Old Testament to His prophets and to His men in many different ways. But today He speaks by His Son revealed through the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit to quicken our understanding and to help us to understand the Word. So as I read the Word of God, I'm giving the Spirit a means to speak to me. Whereas if I'm watching CSI on the television, the Holy Spirit's not going to have much He can work with there to reveal the truth in me. You see that? And so as we pray, as we pray to, to seek God's face, 
to seek God's guidance and to seek God's will. Well, I know what's good for me. I believe Paul the Apostle would have said the same thing. As he he had this thorn in the flesh that was buffeting him and he got down on his face and said, God, I, I could go places if you'd get rid of this. If you'd remove this messenger of Satan that's continually buffeting me, I believe I could do better. Paul said, I know what's good for me. And as he prayed to the Lord, the Lord's going to come by in prayer, is He not? As Paul's praying, remove this thorn from me, God's going to come and say, Paul, my grace is sufficient. It's not my will to remove this from you. But you know, something did change. The situation didn't change. But you know, Paul's thought about the situation. That changed. And he said, I will, I will surely glorify in my tribulations. I'll glorify God in my hardships because when I'm weak, God is strong. Now, running laps on the track, while that may be good for the flesh, God wouldn't have spoke like that while He's doing these things. And so... If we expect to do well, we're going to have to be fervent in business. Would you say that's true? We're going to have to uh, not be slothful, but be diligent and give the Lord opportunity to work in our life. And if I put no sticks on the fire, it's not going to be hot anymore, is it? If you turn the heat down on the stove, the water's not going to boil like it did. You ever cook macaroni? You turn it up on high and it rolls that bowl and the water's rolling up. And you can turn the you can turn her down to low. And you know what starts to happen? As you quit putting heat into it, the boiling slows down. Eventually it'll quit. And so if if we quit putting sticks on the fire, if we close our book, we never open it, and we never hit our knees through the week then Sunday morning, my water's not going to be boiling. And I know why it's not. Well, we can't control it. We can't control the Spirit. We can't control the Spirit. I'm not saying that we control the Spirit. But the Spirit is within us. And if we quench Him, we've stopped His ability to work through us. Would you not agree with that? I believe this as well. If our behavior is uncomely, then our witness and our testimony and the Spirit working through us, it's not going to have the same effect, is it? So, be fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Who are we a servant to? Who are we? Servants to. A lot of times we, we get it backwards. Maybe not, maybe not as far as the mouth. But we've got ourselves elevated and the Lord is to be our servant. The Lord is to give me what I want. Lord, this is what I want. Would you bless it? Lord, this is what I want to do. Would you let me do that? Would you let me go? Well, the people wanted to uh, reject God there where David read this morning. The people wanted to die in the wilderness. Right. 
And God let him die in the wilderness. Will God let me? Elimelech wanted to go to Moab. Now he's going to die and his sons are going to die down there. God's going to let him go. Lot's going to want to go to Sodom. And so he went. See, that's, that's not the right prayer. God, this is what I want. You bless it. See, we're serving Him. He is not serving us. So, as I would pray to my Master, should I not say, Oh God, my Master, the one that bought me out of sin, the one that I belong to, that my life is to be dedicated to forevermore, God, would this be your will to me? Reveal it to me and help me to do what your will would be. I I believe that makes good sense. That that's the way that we ought to pray and seek the Lord. But that's not what happens 99% of the time if we're not very careful. We pray, God, this is what I want and I expect you to give it to me. And if we're not careful, we're going to be looking at the well-watered plain of Jordan and we're going to see the beauty of it. And God's going to say, all right, Lot, pack up your bags and go. And instead of seeking wisdom, Lot said, this is it. And Lot went, and it cost him everything he had. And so God says here, serving. That word means to be a slave to. Serving the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, I've I've made reference to this already, but let's read it just to nail it down for sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. My body, my choice. God says, no. You belong to me in spirit, and your body belongs to me as well. Your life is mine. Now, man doesn't like that today. But you know, when, when I was in darkness and sin was ruling over me and hell was open before my eyes, I was tickled to death for Him to buy me and deliver me from the state that I was in. Well, now He is my Master. He's my ruler. He's the Lord. He's the one that I'm to be a servant and a slave to. Body. Well, I can do with my body. It's in the spirit that God's concerned about. But it's your body in which the Spirit of God dwells, isn't it? He dwells in your body. Therefore, your body and your spirit are not yours to do as you're free, as you please. But we pray, God, give us wisdom, guidance, and direction. Let our life be led by You and let me not lead my life. I, I pray this often. God, you, you put me where You'd have me to be and let me not mess it up. My tendency 
is to mess it up. My tendency is to put myself in a place that I deeply regret ever being. God, let me not in my foolishness to go that way. But God, give me guidance and wisdom. I ought to be fervent. I ought not be slothful in my prayer. God, direct my life. And I ought not be slothful in digging into the Word of God. I'd like for God to help me know this. Right here is the mind of Christ. And here is the field that the Holy Spirit works in. He's working here. So here, if I want to find Him, if I want to seek His face, how do do I seek God's face? In His revealed Word of God. You know, in revivals, you hear it. We need to seek God's face. And I've never heard anybody in a revival as, as they tell me to seek God's face. I've never had anybody tell me how to do that. How do you do that? It's in the Word of God. This is God's revealed will and self to mankind. So we dig in the Word of God. Be not slothful in business. So he says, patient, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So rejoicing to be full of cheer, calmly happy, in hope, expectation, or confidence. So the church rejoices in a confidence in God their Savior. So uh, today, our lives are so immensely blessed. We have been in the past. It may be necking down day by day. We've been blessed with great liberty and freedom. We've been blessed with great amounts of wealth and this world's good. We've been blessed with great health care. That I mean, just to have a diagnosis. In the past, they couldn't even diagnose things. And so we've been blessed with all of this world's good. And as we read this, this really don't make sense to us. But if you're in this day now, where the, the Roman government, they're the overseers, We're all under Caesar. And not only are the Jews afflicting and trying to destroy the church, cast them into prison, uh, crucify them, hang them, fillet them, all manner of suffering in the church from the hands of the Jews and religious, but the government also, their hand is bearing down on them. And if you're going to be a Christian, then you're not going to be able to buy and sell or to work. And there's, there's affliction on every side. In a life where there's very, very little happiness in the flesh. We say that sometimes, but I'm telling you, we, we don't know what that's really like. We really don't know what that's like to live in a world that was like this. But you know what the church had even in all that affliction, even as they're killing the members of the church off and they're afflicting as greatly as they can, Paul and Silas could be beaten till their backs were laid open and cast into the inner prison and sing praise to the Lord. They were full of cheer. 
Not because of the situation they were in. Well, God, I'll be happy when you do this for me. Sounds like a publican and a sinner to me. God says, not in, not in what's happened, but rejoicing in hope. Remember that hope that is seen is not really hope. I'm not expecting something to happen that's already happened because it's already happened. So this expectation is looking down the road. I belong to God. God's going to deliver me. And though, look look where I'm at. I'm suffering. I believe Paul was most likely suffering here. Paul's suffering as he pins this Scripture down. But Paul's looking to the end also and he's rejoicing because he knows that the light affliction that he's going to face in this world, when you compare that to the glory of the world to come, there's no comparison. He said it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to come. And so, rejoicing in hope. In Matthew 5.12, there at the Sermon on the Mount, He's talking to His disciples and He said, they're going to persecute you. They're going to chase you down. They're going to beat you. They're going to excommunicate you from the church. And when you're excommunicated from the church, you're, you're thrown out of everything. The Jewish community there, if you're excommunicated from the church, you can't go down to the bakery and buy a loaf of bread. You can't go down to the, to the grocery store and get some vegetables. You're excommunicated. You're, you're put out. Not just to the church building, but to the whole community. And so, the, Jesus is telling His disciples in Matthew 5.12, they're going to persecute you. They're going to beat you. But happy are you when this happens. Why are they happy that this is happening? Because this is what they done to Jesus. And if, now this is the truth, if that's the way they're going to treat the Lord Jesus, then is it not reasonable to expect that I would be treated that way as well? Jesus says, be, be joyous and be happy because great is your reward in heaven. It's going to be worth it in the end. No amount of suffering here is worthy to compare to the glory that the church is going to receive. And that's what God would like for us to realize. We've got an expectation that exceeds everything else in this world. I'm almost out of time. Patient in tribulation. So to stay under, that word patient, to stay under, to remain, or to bear or carry. So here's tribulation coming, and instead of cowardously fleeing from it, instead of running away to escape it, instead of, you know what they would do here, they'd hang them over a pot of boiling water, and they'd say, you can recount Jesus Christ or you're going in. Or they'd heat up a big grill, and they'd say, you can, you can go back on your profession of Jesus or we're going to cook you alive. And there was one... Uh, in Rome that they said you need to recount your profession of Jesus or we're going to feed you to the lions. And so they were cooked. They were boiled. 
and they were fed to the lions, but they didn't seek to escape this tribulation. They stayed under it. Because we recognize this now. Does the church, should the church not recognize this? That God is in control of absolutely everything. That God is sovereignly over man. And that man is not able to do anything except God sovereignly determine to allow it to be. So if God determines this, then God help me to stay under that. You see that? As God determines for His glory and for His name to be exalted, God help us to stay under and not flee from the face. So He says in Psalm 37, I'll read just this place and then maybe we'll stop. Psalm 37, verse number 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So here's the nature of man, the nature of those that are redeemed. We look at the world and the devil tells you this lie. Now these are worldly people that are wicked people and they've got no trouble and they've got everything they want. Is either of those things true? It's not true. They have trouble. And they do not have everything they want. But that's the nature of the carnal mind as the devil would lie and say, look at how good it is in the world and look at how, look at how little that I've got. But here David in Psalm 37, he's saying, look to the end now. Look in the Lord to the end that those that are born again, they're going to receive that eternal life, that expectation of life in Jesus. And them that are lost, they're going to perish without hope. They're going to be cast into a burning lake of fire. So when you compare the two, who's really got it better? Paul's going to take lashes from a soldier... And boy, it looks like the soldier's the one that's got it better. But in ten years, if the soldier lifts his eyes in hell and Paul is in heaven, then who had it better? See, we, we can get our vision backwards sometimes. And a lot of it produces bitterness towards God. We want to be angry or bitter at God. But we ought to be patient in tribulation. Continuing instant. In prayer. So we've already talked about prayer a little bit. But that word continuing instant, this is what it means. To be earnest towards or to be constantly diligent to. Do we need to pray? Continuing instant, diligently in prayer. And the devil says, well don't really do any good. And there's really no point in it. There's no reason to do that. There's no reason to make time for that. And yet Daniel and the three Hebrew children, men that we look up to, 
Men that are going to stand the test. They prayed three times a day. Every day. The psalmist said morning, evening, and night, I pray. Jesus says pray. And here, continuing instant in prayer. I think the consensus from Old Testament to the New Testament is that those that are a part of God's family ought to be prayerfully diligent always. Don't let the devil rob you of a means. Now, prayer is not something that's natural. We didn't get that ourselves. But prayer was something that God gave to His people. God gave His people a means to commune with Him and to cast our burdens on Him. God gave us a means to come to Him in prayer. Let's take it what God has provided us. That talent that God's given us, let us use that for His glory. That's all that's on our heart. Anybody, anything you'd like to say?